I run it through it and this is the public eye. You know, there's so many things that we can be critical about concerning life in Jamaica that sometimes we overlook some of the things that are really happening that are very good, that are salvific, that make big sense for the future of our country. There is balm in this Gilead. There is good in this Nazareth. One such movement, one such partnership, is that with the Rock House Foundation. These are foreigners, but they've come and settled in Jamaica. And like the president of the Rock House Foundation, we've ingested enough curry powder in them that they're properly creolized and have become Jamaican with us. They're lovers of the Jamaican people. And the way in which they have done their business is an example to others and is a testament to a really important friendship between themselves and ourselves. Welcome Peter Rose, president of the Rock House Foundation. Ronald Twaits, my longtime friend, it's so great to be here and thanks so much for the invitation to join me. Give us some background about Rock House. Who are they? Who owns them? Why this commitment to Jamaica? Rock House was originally bought by a small group of investors in 1993. And at the time that they purchased the property, one of the things that they attended to, and I think which is, has really animated the development of not only the hotel, but ultimately the foundation as well, was the establishment of four values that guided really all their activity, all of their focus on the, on the development of the hotel and eventually the, the foundation. And that was give the guests the greatest experience that they could possibly imagine. Uh, make sure that your employees shared in the success of the hotel financially and in all, all ways. Make sure that you, we are a, a, a strong steward of the economy, uh, sorry, of the environment. Um, and finally, that we make meaningful uh, commitments to support the community that hosts our, our enterprise. That's a most unselfish set of, of objectives. Unusual for big business. Obviously, there was an attractiveness. Obviously, there was a very humane sense in the minds of your investors, and they've been able to keep this going since 1993. How has it manifested itself? Well, I think in the initial years, and I'll, and I'll sort of focus on the foundation, mm -hmm. in the initial years, the commitment to the community was quite uh, ad hoc, as so many uh, relationships between businesses and the community can be. Somebody needed a computer for a classroom, somebody needed a classroom painted or whatever. And so there were those kinds of activities, but in a, in a real sense, they were not sustainable and they were not particularly strategic. And so the managing partner of the hotel in 2003, whose name is Paul Salmon, asked me, we've known each other for many years, and he served on the board of directors of an organization I ran in New York um, for a number of years. He asked me to help set up the foundation. And it, it followed on from those initial set of values. It, it made the development of the, of the vision and the way in which we connect what we do with the foundation and the hotel, the sort of symbiotic relationship that was completely consistent with kind of historical trajectory of the, of the hotel and how it became such a central part of the West End and the Grill. So once you had this structure in place, um, the schools in the area became a, a primary focus. Our thought from the very beginning was that in setting up the foundation, we wanted to focus on children. 
we felt that the vehicle for focusing on children was most significantly in the field of education. And in the initial days after we set up the foundation, and, and let me be clear about the foundation, we set up the foundation so we could access more substantial uh, resources from overseas donors. It's chartered in New York State, uh, so therefore it's, all, all contributions are tax deductible to U.S. citizens. And all of the expenses of the foundation are paid for by the hotels and by the ownership of the hotels. So all the dollars that are donated to the foundation go directly to the work that we do. I think that, that sort of construct, again, is consistent with the values that had sort of created this enterprise at the outset. And the template and the model, how others may think of bonding with people like ourselves. You don't have big administrative burdens that take away from the, the gift that you want to transfer to the people here. Indeed, and I, and I think our donors uh, fully appreciate the fact that every dollar that they donate is going to something worthwhile. Yeah. And then you don't prevail upon Jamaican charity to support your efforts either. We've always taken the view that because we have access to overseas capital, mm -hmm. we would literally be putting our hands in, in the pocket of a small NGO here in, in Jamaica that didn't have that. And so that would be uh, contrary to our values. So tell me the story, the odyssey of, of your relationship with the schools. Like many people who come to Jamaica, there's a period of learning. What you see initially is very often not what you get. Um, I often describe Jamaica as an onion with not just two or three layers, but many more than that. And once you think that you've reached the, uh, the ultimate layer, there's usually two or three more to go before you have. So in those early days, we tried to keep it simple and direct, and that is, let's improve the infrastructure of schools in and around the Negril community, because many of them, most of them, really were in deplorable shape and, and not suitable for the kind of education that all children deserve. And as I've said many, many times, there's nothing more concrete than concrete. If we say that we're gonna add on to a school or renovate a school or build a school, there's not much more that we need to say once the building goes up. That's confirmation of the fact that we stand by our word. Having said that, the initial experience of, of the renovation and expansion of and modernization of the Negril All-Age School, which was our first project in 2004, was an enormous learning experience for me personally, yeah. both just in terms of the design, construction, executing on a vision, a vision that I might add, and very importantly to us, was not our vision, but a vision that was collaboratively generated with the leadership of the school, with community members, with parents, and so forth. In that first project, I learned a great deal about construction and about how to manage and all of that, but, but much more importantly, it was my introduction to the community of people here in Jamaica and to what I view as the Jamaica that visitors don't get enough access to to see the beauty of the place, the magic of Jamaica. And after all these years, it's been 17, 18 years now, I am not jaundiced by my time here and some of the challenges and struggles that I've come to be much more intimately familiar with, but rather view where we are right now in Jamaica as a crucial sort of an inflection point, not unlike most of the globe, given the pandemic and, and many other forces at play as well. And so we just, we really want to be a, a positive, constructive force in the West 
to uplift a part of the country that has struggled in many ways, even with you know all of the the uh, hospitality assets that it has. Um, but it has also been the center of some of the many challenges and struggles and some of the things that, that impact on the social fabric of Jamaica. To me, this is very important. Rockhouse's example is not one of being extractive of the Jamaican community needs, but rather investive. Now, this is not a criticism of any other aspect of the visitor industry. But normally, after you've built the thing and you provide the jobs, which is all very good, that's it. That's it. You people have a different view and obviously have had a, a richness of experience in so doing it that you've kept going for a long period of time. Peter Rose, why are you in it? Why do you stay? Ronnie, you know, we've known each other for a long time and we, both you and I know that the, the image of a child looking up at you and smiling with, with some degree of, of excitement or pleasure about something that they're experiencing for the first time is a gift that we've both been blessed to receive many, many times in our life and which keeps both of us going at, at our uh, youthful advanced age. Um, I think also that the friendships that I've been blessed to make here, yes. that again, the, the, the magic of Jamaica that is so authentic and real, it's just struck a chord with me and, and I, uh, I feel really just so blessed to be here. To my knowledge, Rockhouse has gone beyond the concrete, beyond the, the upliftment of several schools in the, in the Grill Curtilage, none of which could have happened without your engagement. Public resources simply could not stretch. But then there is this surge now to a new vista, a new height of engagement, which is the SAV Inclusive Complex. Tell us about that. What led you to make this jump and how high are you in the air now? Let me say first what caused us to make the jump. An employee of the, of the Rock House Hotel some years ago described to me the, the uh, trial and tribulation of the experience of having a severely autistic son who was undiagnosed for the first five, six years of his life. Finally, she was able to get a diagnosis here in Kingston at vast expense to her. And once the diagnosis was provided, it basically the person threw up their hands and said, sorry, there's really nothing in the West to support your needs. And I was very much struck by that, by that story. And while we were in the middle of several projects, I, I sort of had to put it on hold for a couple of years. But as we began to think more and more about it and do more research about it, we came to understand that the most important way that we could support children with special needs was to create a full inclusion environment in which typical learners and children with a, a variety of special needs, developmental, physical, it didn't matter, would be learning side by side in the same classroom. And so we spent some years developing the concept and then with help from a very fine Minister of Education at the time, we were able to advance the vision to reality and put a shovel in the ground in 2016. The school opened in 2017 with 33 year olds, about a third of, of whom had some special needs, either developmental or physical or both. And now we have a population of roughly 130 in age three through five, and then grades one and two. And that is, as we move forward, uh, we'll 
have on that very same compound an infant school through high school continuum for all children that enter at age three. That's one of its kind in Jamaica. Many of our listeners who may be abroad in the diaspora may know of such institutions, but for us in Jamaica this is absolutely pathfinding. There is nothing like this. And it is touching the most vulnerable in the society. I know you're doing it in partnership with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Montego Bay, who provides land and hopefully some more facilities for this. And there is also the opportunity of upskilling many of the staff and others who would want to become trained in this neglected, underserved area of special education. Tell me about that. Well, you're absolutely right. It's neglected and underserved and the percentage of children with some identifiable special need is shockingly high, so therefore the dearth of skilled, trained teachers and caregivers and so forth is an, an acute problem. And any way in which the development of this model can begin to encourage you know, teachers to get more advanced training, the system in general to support schools like this across the island, we want to support the notion of equity for all children regardless of how they walk, how they talk, how they look. The idea of inclusion is the idea that we should all be pursuing, I think, in terms of education, generally speaking, not just as it relates to children with special needs. Peter Rose, do you think that with your contacts and, and, and capacities um, and experiences on the ground that you can help Jamaica to have access to better training, say, of speech therapists, occupational therapists. I imagine that they've been pretty scarce, hard to come by, even in your efforts so far. In Jamaica, there are seven speech-language therapists. Really? There are three million people, as we know, in Jamaica. You don't have to be a math wizard to understand the, the acute problem that that creates. And the same is true of other specialties, occupational therapy and physical therapy and so forth, which all of our children need. I think there's another important point to make here, Ronnie, which is that children with special needs are so stigmatized, not just in Jamaica, obviously, but globally, but their parents are also stigmatized. Yes. And parents of typical learners very often want little to do, not only with the children, but also with their parents. They see there's some deficiency in the parents, some deficiency in the child. One of the things that's been one of the most compelling outgrowths of the development of this school is how the parents of typical learners have embraced not only the children but the parents really? of the children with special needs. That they see it as just the normal thing now. And we know that children don't come out of the womb stigmatizing other children. That's a learned behavior. So if we can reverse that learning yes. and turn it into well, a positive... Huge. Can you imagine if you could broaden that humane sense more fully in the society as a whole? What an aspiration that... What, that, what an aspiration. What an aspiration. What that could be. So if you're asking, are we all in mm. on engaging in that aspiration? Yeah. We're absolutely all well, in on that's hope it. for the future. Before you go, this must all cost a whole heap of money. Who helps? There will be a sense among people listening to us that says, oh my goodness, I want to be associated with this in some way. No president of any nonprofit organization would have a interview or participate in a podcast <laughs> without saying, and our website is www.rockhousefoundation.org. And on there you will find an easy way to, to donate. And let me make one final point now that you've asked. 
When the pandemic shut down all schools in Jamaica in March of 2020, the foundation found itself needing to respond to the just dramatic overnight uh, desperate needs of the, of the families. And we immediately pivoted to a significant food distribution initiative, which has been ongoing since March of last year. We've distributed close to 200 tons of food during that time. 200 tons There's 200 families that we distribute food to every week that reaches about 1,000 people. That's been ongoing since March of last year. Also an extremely expensive proposition, but one that we feel is absolutely critical at this time. And so I'm hoping that the listening audience will understand that Rock House Foundation focuses on education, focuses on children, but recognizes that the larger society is in a desperate condition right now and all the help that we can get to continue the work that we're doing is received gratefully. It's a good partnership, Peter Rose, between people who live elsewhere and keeping faith with the people of Jamaica. It makes us feel validated and proud and grateful as well. Thank you for the work you're doing. Do not weary in well-doing and let us hope that we see that whole venture increase and really change the whole mood, the whole attitude, the whole values of the Jamaican people towards those who are most vulnerable. We look for all acolytes to join in that mission and <laughs> spread the word. Well said. To our listeners, we thank you. This has been a different kind of edition of Public Eye today. This one gives us hope and promise. Why don't you rope in? Walk good.